Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome back to the Statman Day Football Podcast. This is episode 61 today. As always, on Mondays, I'm joined by Nico Morales to unwrap the football from the weekend. Nico, how's it going, buddy? It's going good. Am I, am I going to be on episode 69? Uh, I think that's the most important thing. Maybe. Actually, we'll shoehorn you in. You know, whatever it is, we'll, you know, we'll call you <laughs> up. We'll get you involved. Obviously, the next one will be episode 66. So 69 will be the Wednesday after the Premier League game. So maybe, yeah, we could bring you in there just to wrap that, that type of stuff up. Anyway, today we're going to talk the news. Then we're going to talk about the Premier League, just undress the action of the top four, really. Arsenal, Liverpool, Manchester United playing absolutely rubbish against Arsenal. Um, then talk, go over to Germany. Dortmund versus Hoffenheim. Nagelsmann versus Thomas Tuchel. A cracking tactical game, but lacked a little bit of quality. And then we're going to finish off with a, a preview of the Champions League, Monaco versus Juventus. But Anyway, let's get this party started. First up in the news, Chelsea midfielder Angulo Kante has been voted the Football Writers Player of the Season award. You know, no surprises there, Nico. Really? Yeah, I mean, it's you know, it's it's probably a foregone conclusion, like you said to to a lot of people. But I think there there are a couple other players in there that I would have liked to see maybe uh, contest a bit more for the for the Player of the Year, I guess for the for the Writers Association. But it seems seems like everybody's hopping on the train. Not that he doesn't deserve it, but I think there are a few more players in there that probably deserve a look, right? Dave? Yeah, I think so. I think it's a real interesting one. I think they gave they gave him this award, what I've said before, because they didn't give it him last year. I think Eden Hazard um, probably is a little bit more in terms of the contribution of this Chelsea side. You saw if, when Eden Hazard isolated, Chelsea's attack completely dies. So maybe you could throw him in there. Um, apart from that, I think he's the only standout player above him. But again, Ugula can say, fair play, he's been fantastic this season, especially at the start of the season. A little bit of a bad patch over the last few months, but again, um, you know, getting back up to those levels. In other news, apparently Theo Hernandez has moved, will be moving from Atletico Madrid to Real Madrid um, after the Copa del Rey final. Um, you know, an impressive left fullback, apparently. But what I want to just talk about quickly, Nico, is the, uh, you know, 
sort of compare Barcelona and Real Madrid with their players under the age of 25? Because right now at the moment, even though we don't see Real Madrid as a club that develops talent and is developing players uh, for the future, it seems like they are doing it a little bit better than uh, Barcelona at the moment. You think of players like Marcus Llorente in central midfield, um, you know, Theo Hernandez at their signing, uh, obviously Rafa Varane still 24, Sancho, Morata, um, they've signed a lad from um, Brazil apparently this weekend called Vin- Vinchuvius Jr. or something like that. That's probably completely not his name but that's what he's about and then you compare that with Barcelona who haven't really seen anything coming through their academy um, you've got Sergi Samper in there Munier who may come back from his loan spell um, at Valencia Nico it's kind of weird how the teams have flipped right yeah I think it's one of those things this is this is more sort of the um, I guess modern modern football youth development where you know a lot of the the names that you mentioned for Real Madrid I, I think Morata uh spent some time spent some time in Castilla um which is uh, Real Madrid's youth academy um and and a few other players that I'm looking at in sort of that 11 in there also did but the, the, the majority of these guys like Asensio uh Casimiro to some extent Kovacic Isco these guys were developed outside of their youth academy and and then they brought them in a, at either a very young age or or very recently still in sort of the the um um, the younger or I guess the the earlier times in their career and I think that's really like I said you know part of modern football youth development where you know it's very difficult to to pitch to a, a current first team head coach you know um, and say or at least to a to a side or a, a team that's competing for league titles where you have to be consistent year round um, that you should give uh, you know youth academy players that aren't already excellent um a, a serious chance within the team and, and ability to grow because obviously to to make it at the top level you have to have consistent um time playing against you know older professionals and people that are going to be playing against consistently um and you have to get a lot of that time in and it's difficult to, to shoehorn those kind of players in into the likes of you know a manchester united a manchester city a real madrid or a barcelona um and teams like that so i think this is this is really kind of where things are going you know um buying players at, at a younger age you know 18 19 years old when they're, they're probably the 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 best player in that age group and then bringing them up with with world-class players you know isco and kovacic and Morata's time around the likes of ronaldo benzema bale those that that can only help their development because they're going to learn things they're going to learn how to strike the ball better they're going to learn how to how to make off ball runs a little better they can learn from their elders and being in that sort of elite environment you know uh, iron sharpens iron as they say or steel sharpens steel whichever uh phrase is is actually correct um and, and i think that, you know that's part of it and this is more of the modern football team it's a very difficult thing to have someone go directly from your youth academy to the first team it's really interesting again you know Real Madrid B team won 4-0 at the weekend again Morata on the score sheet Hamad Rodriguez and it is like you're saying quite interesting how Real Madrid have moved themselves on and they are buying these youth players but they're kind of getting a bit of game time under Zinedine Zidane fair play to Zidane again something that we've potentially never never touched on you know we talked about how his fantastic game management is seems like his substitutions all make impact but also in the background he's working with um, you know whoever Florentino Perez to, to build this next generation it's something that Barcelona aren't doing at the moment the, the tide has, has completely flipped in Spain that Real Madrid potentially going with that youth model on Barcelona looking for you know the Los Galacticos style another new Cesc Fabregas becomes the first player in Premier League history to register 10 assists in 6 different seasons what an achievement from the Spanish sensation Moving to the championship, Newcastle finally won the championship, something that they should have done months and months ago and have struggled over the finish line. As the true Geordie says, they were absolutely rubbish in the last few months of the season, but they're getting across. Moving on to transfer news, Kingsley Coman admits that Manchester City 
Did uh, declare some interest in signing him before reaching uh, a permanent uh, agreement to move to Bayern Munich. Nico, are you upset that Kings of Coman isn't going to join the likes of Leroy Sana, um, Raheem Sterling, and of course Gabriel Jesus? Yeah, I think he's a really, really talented player. And obviously, um, when this sort of thing arises, you kind of um, feel a little bit left out, or, or you know, you you feel remiss as to not have jumped on that talent or had the ability to jump on that talent. But I think, you know, Raheem Sterling, Lira Sané, Gabriel Jesus, other young players that are coming through um, to this Manchester City team are, are certainly of similar quality. And, and though, you know, never, never want to say that we didn't want him, you know, we, we do have <laughs> Sané and, and, and guys like that. So, you know, it's not the worst thing in the world. It's quite interesting as well, like how Manchester City, instead of having these like, you know, finished articles like your Benzema's, Ronaldo's, they are still with these youthful players. I'm not saying that having the youthful players is a bad thing, but it's quite interesting to see where the Premier League is right now. You know, it's not that competitive on the top European stage. The best players don't play in the Premier League. They play the likes of Real Madrid, and Real Madrid have this incredible depth. And it's, you know, it's interesting how those teams have moved and the Premier League has been stuck behind with the money. But with Manchester City developing these young players, it can only be a good thing. And across the the City to United, you know, the amount of talent they've got as well. Rashford coming massively through this season, especially after a cracking debut season. Very exciting stuff for the Premier League, but right now, definitely not the top league in the world. Moving into other transfer news, uh, Milan apparently have agreed personal terms with Wolfsburg fullback Ricardo Rodriguez. I can't believe he's still playing for Wolfsburg. He's got so much talent, very, very good going forward and defensively. Yes, hit a bad patch of form at the start of the season, but Wolfsburg were absolutely atrocious, sat the manager, um, and he's starting getting back to that top level. Whenever I've seen him live, seen him live on a couple of occasions, very very impressive with the ball at his feet very very good on the ball would suit Manchester City in fact it's quite interesting that you know moving to Milan um, will obviously kill that move in final stats news for the weekend uh, Jorginho broke records again and completed 179 passes against Cagliari on uh, was it Saturday evening Nico you watched the game how good were Napoli they were fantastic. I mean, I can't speak highly enough about this Napoli team. They're an absolute joy to watch. Um, though they may not, you know, they, they actually they will not win any trophies this season because the league's basically gone. There's no catching Juventus at this point, um, barring an implosion, which I don't think will happen. Um, and the league, they've been knocked out of the League Cup by Juventus and then the Champions League by Real Madrid. So, unfortunately, no trophies for Napoli this season, but still some brilliant, <laughs> brilliant football uh, from Maurizio Sarri. I mean, the, w- the way that they're able to move the ball around so quickly, it, it's sort of like set plays the runs that they make the the difference in, in style that they play um in in terms of like in contrast to the traditional Serie A you know Dries Mertens and Lorenzo Insigne who both stand at a, a towering uh five five or five six you know they're dominating <laughs> these huge center backs yeah um and so it's just fantastic to watch I really recommend before because it, it is rumored that Dries uh, Mertens might not be in Napoli this season next season sorry um can, because his wife doesn't want to live there anymore there's some sort of issue there um so unfortunately some of the band will probably be broken up and, and you know just to speak to the left back or right back situation I mean Hizaj and Gulam and some of those central midfielders like Alan Zielinski Diawada um you know those players are probably going to be poached by bigger clubs it's just the way it is that's just the way modern football goes so unfortunately some of the band will probably be broken up so if you get a chance to watch napoli before the season ends i highly recommend it they're fantastic nico i think i'm just going to do you with the pronunciation of one of those players apparently it's Husin. 
Is it is it Husin? Husin, yeah, that's what I was uh, told one fellow afternoon when I was googling. Well, that's that's European that's one, that's uh, Euro twenty sixteen. Here's, here's the thing: is that, that that's one mispronunci- mispronunciation <laughs> yes, for me. It it's about six hundred and seventy-eight <laughs> hey, million. Don't come, don't come at me like that, or I'll get Mar- I'll get Ryan Bartra on you, mate, on your case. <laughs> his famous brother, yes, yeah, Ryan. His, his pal, uh, who's you know apparently into his alter ego. <laughs> but of course, they've, they've got uh, Milik to come back as well, who impressed me massively at the European Championships. Was very very good at Ajax season before so Nico to be honest I think with Milik coming in there it would give Napoli a slightly different option going forward but also comfortable at dropping deep comfortable at playing a little bit deeper so you know he'll still be good next season but again it is going to be keeping keeping those two fullbacks that will be um, you know a lot of clubs going around from them but I imagine the likes of Jorginho Insignia um, and of course Hamzik aren't going to be leaving anywhere so they'll still be playing some good stuff next season but anyway let's move away from exciting attacking football to the Premier League First up, of course, we've got to talk about Manchester United versus Arsenal. The big game on Sunday evening, Super Sunday, but God, was it a snore fest. Anyway, Nico, what do you think of Arsenal's shape, their system, the back three? Do you think it's, it's good? Do you think it's something they should work on for next season? Or do you think there's ma- massive gaps and it's something that other teams will expose? A little bit of both. You know, there's benefits to playing the system. There are players within that Arsenal team that fit very well into that system. One of them being uh, Granite Jaka. I think his distribution uh, fits very well into sort of the the overlapping or not overlapping, but on running uh, wingbacks. Um, and, and you know, if you get midfielders in there that can press with him and be as aggressive with him, and sort of uh, you know they play in unison with Granite Xhaka, then you see the best of him. Um, he didn't necessarily you know have an absolute belter of a game as some people claiming that he did, but he was pretty impressive. But with that being said, you know I watched the first 15 minutes of this game, and this is something that I said to you pre-record. Manchester United pulled one of the members of the back three or several members of the back three out of their position few times within the first five to ten minutes my impression right away was that Manchester United were going to win the game 3-0 because it was obvious that when you're doing that which is the opposite of what you want when you're playing that system then you're 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 gonna score you're gonna create high fidelity chances there's just no way and I thought this is this is done and over and dusted by Manchester United and then they just seem to regress the passing from Michael Mm. Carrick the passing from Wayne Rooney I mean people talk about Pogba's contribution of the team this is where they missed him because he makes that side tick from a passing perspective when you have the likes of Rooney and Carrick like I said making questionable passing decisions not controlling the tempo in an effective way you 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 could have completely exploited this relatively rudimentary 3-4-3 that Arsenal are currently playing and you just didn't and you made a mediocre Arsenal performance look excellent I think there's a lot of things you've got to take from this United, this United performance. And the first one was you know, the poor play of Wayne Rooney and Michael Carrick once again. But again, like you're saying, it's, it makes no sense. The first 15 minutes, United were doing the right things against a back three. And then they started to drop off. They started playing, it looked like a 4-4-1-1. But then as the game progressed, Wayne Rooney dropped deeper and deeper and deeper. And pretty much it looked like United were playing a 4-5-1. And they had no link with Anthony Martial. Again, going back to the trends in European football, what is the best counter-attacking system, Nico? As you don't even like pragmatic football, but what's the best counter-attacking system right now? You think the best counter-attacking think, system uh, Atletico, in the world? Madrid, football. Juve, Monaco. What do they play? Definitely Monaco. The, but the, the system they play, they play with two strikers, right? 
Yeah, they play at four four two. This is the thing. This is why I find it so confusing right now. Mourinho isn't really moving himself. It doesn't feel like he's moving himself on. But don't you think that's tactics. because of the the trend of the Premier League? Like he needs to adapt for league form a little bit. I'm not giving him an excuse, but I think like he would play four four two because we've seen him play that before. But four four two three one. The thing I found really interesting. Okay, right. So against Chelsea in both of the games, we played this back six that everyone's flipping out about that worked perfectly well to nullify Chelsea's wing backs. That's exactly what you want to do. Cut the wing backs out. Narrow your back four. The front three are pretty much out the game that's what happened in the, pre- the FA Cup before they had the Herrera red card but in that game we had Mkhitaryan and, and Rashford as a two they were playing next to each other which again against the back a back three is what you want to do you want to split them like you're saying you want to move them from left to right go to the Chelsea game at home yeah it's a different style from Mourinho he's playing man to man with Herrera and Hazard and nullifies it there but you look at the shape in the forward line Lingard is playing next to Marcus Rashford and I just don't okay, understand then, why he's then not let doing me, the same let, thing let me riddle you this Mkhitaryan, an excellent talent. Yeah. How can Manchester United utilize him best? Because I think you're not playing enough him enough centrally. He's not going yeah. to dribble and pass and cut players enough, and we're not seeing that enough from him. How do they get the best out? Well, I think it, it's an interesting one. Like you know, people were flipping out on social media. Why is Mkhitaryan defending in that position? I don't mind him defending in that position, but like you're saying, there's better ways to use Henrik Mkhitaryan. And, and United have played the best this season when he's played as a number ten. The think of the Leicester City game where he absolutely controlled it. A few games round like that, round that month, Mkhitaryan was fantastic at as a number ten in a four 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 one one in a way. It could have used Martial and Mkhitaryan as a two up top, and that would have caused him so much more trouble than leaving um, Anthony Martial isolated up top. But again, is that Rooney not playing where he should have played? Was he dropping deeper without the Mourinho instruction? It was just a bit of a funny performance from Manchester United. They were utterly rubbish apart from two and Zabi. He had a fantastic game, you know, man to man on Sanchez, Mourinho going with that sort of defensive fullback to deal with him tucking him and, and really you know, bullying him in the, the dangerous zone you know in the final third for Arsenal two and Xavier just had, had Sanchez the, the interesting thing as well apparently I didn't watch match of the day but it was highlighted on match of the day that Sanchez was playing deeper and he was creating these chances but for me that's where you want to have Sanchez you know as a false nine or a, you know a winger that's a playmaker from the you know the further you push him away from your goal the better that you're doing in the game for me you see where I'm coming, Nico? They, they highlighted a few balls he played through. You know, he created one good chance for Ramsey, but there wasn't that consistency. That was one chance in 90 minutes of football that he created. What do you think about Two and Zabie's performance? Was it good? And is that the right way to deal with Alexis Sanchez, to force him out? Yeah, I think you have to get really close to Alexis Sanchez, cause him a lot of issues, not really give him that space to run. He's a player that that is easily frustrated, and I think there's, from my analysis from from the performance that I saw, I can understand why Barcelona didn't necessarily need him anymore. He's a player that, yeah, we talk about his work rate, and, and a lot of commentators talk about, oh, you know, he's the only Arsenal player that seems to give a shit. At the same time, he's one of those players that, like a kid on the playground, that like is always negatively yelling at other players on the team when he could be doing a much much better job tactically. And I think, it, like you said, if you move him a little bit more central, you get a lot more out of him. And you you have... You put the opposition in a difficult position. You ask them a difficult question in terms of, you know, how, how would you deal with Alexis Sanchez centrally? You'd have to put someone on him, I'm assuming, right? Yeah, so, so what, what you mean in yeah. there, Nico, is that if you move, for, instead of Sanchez playing on the left wing, playing him as a false nine, not necessarily playing on the left side and him dropping into central midfield, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. 
So I think that's um, yeah, that's definitely a, a very valid point, and it's kind of interesting the Barcelona point you made up. I agree with that as well. That Barcelona team um, lacked a little bit of width when Sanchez played. Um, he got into Messi space. You'd rather have Messi playing that that sort of position. And his game by numbers against Man United, quite frankly, was rubbish. Didn't score a goal. Didn't get an assist. Failed to get a shot on target. Only created one chance and completed seventy eight percent of his passes. Was completely too inzabied. Who defensively was very very good. Two blocks, three interceptions, four clearances, eight tackles, winning 50% of those and the 42 passes. It's going to be the future for Man United. I really think that he could do a job at centre-back uh, with Eric Bailly. What was so impressive was when he knocked Sanchez over, played a poor pass into central midfield, got um, the wrong side of Sanchez, made his way round, won the ball back, then Sanchez came in and he just cleared him out. It's, I think he's a young player that really, really could get into this United team and, and this performance, I hope, shown for Mourinho that he can, you know, he can follow his instructions because that was a big thing he said in the, the interview that Mourinho told him to mark Alexis Sanchez and he did that. There were times where he was caught out of position when Sanchez was really deep. Arguably, you just leave him. You know, if Sanchez has gone over the halfway line or has gone into the centre circle, leave him and deal with Kieran Gibbs because that was another issue for Manchester United. Because he makes stupid decisions. Like I said, he tries to force it. He's a very yeah. hot-headed player. He's a guy that you can get into his mind and that's the weakness of him. And it comes across to English commentators and English punditry as perceived strength because because he's just forcing things and he's doing this, that, and the other. But it's not. You can use I, – I almost said – I'll almost go as far to say that this was a – okay, it, it was. It looked better because of how poor Manchester United were. But this was a decent Arsenal performance, something that they can build upon and and sort of you know continue to, to grow up with to some extent. I would almost say that they're better off without Alexis Sanchez, at least in the role that he's currently being used. Because he's so wasteful in some instances, mm. you know? Well, yeah, you flip that to when he plays as a striker, as a false nine. He scored. He's been directly involved in twenty-seven goals in twenty-four games. Yet, Wenger's played him out wild. I don't get that at all. But anyway, that's enough for the United Arsenal game. It was absolutely atrocious. One of the worst games of football I've watched in a while. And arguably, it should have been one nil. And, and that Zaka goal would have summed up perfectly the game—a deflected shot from thirty yards that flew in. But anyway, let's move on to Liverpool, who again struggled um, against a weaker team that sat a little bit deeper. Liverpool, in fact, have failed to score against Southampton in four games this season. Nico, again, was it a problem of not building from their goalkeeper, a lack of uh, penetration in midfield? What was the issues this time? Yeah, I think there's, there's obviously, I've spoken to that and written about that before. There is an element of that, but there are also are other things going on here. You know, um, I, I think, you know, someone made the point to me a few weeks ago that I think Jurgen Klopp has sort of hit a wall tactically. doesn't really have a whole lot of answers to the situation, but at the same time, there are members of this team that are missing and not necessarily ones that they uh, have right now. But I think one of the th- main things that Liverpool struggle uh, or are lacking at the current moment is is a pure left winger because they're looking to James Milner and his overlapping abilities and his delivery uh, into the box for a lot of their chance creation. And if you're any self-respecting team within the top six, you're not looking at James Milner for chance creation, right? <laughs> so, so I think um, you know, you know, I, I would if I were Klopp, and and essentially when he's pushing teams up and he, when he's trying to break down a low block with essentially uh, five forward players, you know, the two elevated fullbacks and then uh, three attacking players in the middle. Using Coutinho a little bit more centrally as opposed to having him cut inside so much and then having an actual left winger in that position would be much more beneficial. And I think that's what you see sort of on the right-hand side of Liverpool's attack as well. Another thing that I would sort of uh, say about the match was that Claude Puel is a very intelligent manager and towards the end 
where I think the majority of people or the majority of coaches would have tried to go for it in a more audacious way where they tried to, would have tried to hit him on the counter because Liverpool were very exposable on the counter. One of the main things about this Liverpool side and one of my main criticisms of them uh, in the latter part, the latter stages of last year's campaign was that they look to have a, a sort of a dual-sided tactic in the sense that their gagging pressing and their counter-pressing, which is the same thing, um, are is both a means of shot suppression and also um, offensive chance creation. And they, they kind of tend to heavily depend on that. Claude Puel didn't send any men forward, so there was no possibility for them to get get caught out by a counter press. I think that was very intelligent, you know, because the best Southampton are going to do realistically with some of the options that they had out there on the field was a point, and that was good. So, um, you know, although Jurgen Klopp yet again failed to break down a low block, Claude Puel, in my opinion, is one of the best in the business at organizing that type of defense. So, you know, credit to them, but also Liverpool should be doing much better. Yeah, I think it's it's an interesting one. Puel has come to the Premier League and done very well with a Southampton team that lost their best player last season. You know, Seda Mane's been a big loss and they've not really... Um, you know, replicated that pace, that chance creation, and arguably that would have been a weapon against Liverpool on the counter attack. And Sadio Mane used to score goals for fun for Southampton against Liverpool, but you know his, his replacement, you know Buffel, hasn't really hit the the same heights. Gabbiadini's finally, um, you know, hitting a bit of a bad run of form after scoring every single chance. But for, fair, fair play to Southampton with the back two of Jack Stevens and Yoshida. You know, without the great um, Van Dijk, that's you know it's a it's a it's a very very good result for them and. You know what? Whatever happens next season, there's going to have to be some more signings for Southampton or bring in some new players. They're tenth in the Premier League. They're probably going to be staying around there. Um, so it is an interesting one. But Liverpool, with the advantage, let's say, over Manchester United, especially on seventy points, United can get seventy-four uh, maximum. So two wins for Liverpool, and they'll be in the top four and the Champions League next season. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Anyway, let's move on to the final Champions League team, and that is Manchester City, who destroyed Sam Allardyce's Crystal Palace. Big Sam's done. He's done his job. Palace aren't getting relegated. 
he had some decent performances and now they're on holiday. They got the flip-flops out and they pretty much allowed Manchester City to dominate the game, right, Nico? Yeah, completely. I think this is the type of performance that, or the type of game that Manchester City looks to, I guess, emulate and project across different performances. You know, they completely dominated the ball. They were allowed to malleate and, and bend this Crystal Palace team to do whatever they liked. And the, that's what we saw. And, and sort of that concept that we've spoken about many times, you know, the two free eights were extremely, extremely, extremely potent in this game. And it, and it led to a lot of goals and a lot of chance creation, a lot of shots in this game for, for Manchester City. I think then what it's going to come to next season is when Guardiola should play this free eight system. Because in fact, if, um, you know, a fellow on the re- replied to one of your tweets, right, Nico, or your Twitter handle, of course, Nico underscore Omarales, go and follow Nico. Um, he's got some crackers on there but a fella responded to you when you were asked about uh, you know what, what's the goal difference or there was some sort of uh, chat over it and it comes out that there's some pretty decent performances in there in fact the only time that perhaps used the free eights in brackets was against AS Monaco um, and lost that was a 3-1 defeat but the, the rest of the time either been a win or a draw so it, it's quite an interesting one I don't agree 100% with this um, you know statistical analysis right here um, I think there's other games that may have been ignored but Nico do you think it's something the City can do next season and really build on yeah I think so um, with the current personnel it's not um, a consistent formation or tactic that we should go for um, like you said I don't completely agree with the list as well I'm not sure where said follower got it mm. though I appreciate the list um, I believe the Barcelona game that we won um, had a similar formation, and also the Chelsea think, game that you, we lost three one. I think you also yeah, had definitely that. that. No, Chelsea, you played a three. Four, I think you played a three at the back against Chelsea. The Barca, yeah. you started with it, then you switched to a pretty pragmatic four four one one, and Pep Guardiola won a game. Not sure why he doesn't like, <laughs> write that in his book. Pragmatic. We sat behind the ball and allowed Kevin De Bruyne to counter attack with space and drift wide from number ten. Nah, nah, rubbish. Right now, nah, come on, we want the ball. <laughs> That's right. Always want the ball. Is that, is that how Always he chats to his assistant? Is it, is I'm not, I'm not sure. I'd love to be a Guardiola assistant, honestly. I'd love to be. But, you know, I don't, I'm not quite in that position yet. One day, in, in your in your own words, one day I will be a Guardiola assistant, just as you, uh, <laughs> I, I chatted with you on Skype and you were looking off into the distance and you say, one day I will run the FA. So big yeah. big things in the future yeah, for yeah. the both of us. Well, I'm going to run the FA, but that's going to be after, a, you know, a managerial career under the likes of Nagelsmann in Germany. Um, and then potentially under a Mourinho at the age of about 70, managing the, uh, let's say the Saudi team, the Saudi Arabian football national team that's where I'm going to go anyway uh, but you'll anyway, be living well then you'll be you'll be getting paid quite, yeah quite be getting paid very point. very well at that point you know running the FA being an assistant anyway let's move to Germany uh, let's talk about those guys Nagelsmann and, and Thomas Tuchel it was sort of the, the battle of the two hipster teams in the Bundesliga this season both of them very very well Hoffenheim especially um, you know getting that Champions League spot but in fact they did lose to Borussia Dortmund and lost that automatic spot Hoffenheim do look now like they'll have to uh, you know play the, the third round qualifying to get into the Champions League which arguably could be quite difficult considering they are going to be no- losing Nicolas Schuller and Ruddy so it's going to be a difficult one, but I hope they do it because they're playing some fantastic stuff this season. In the game, though, they didn't play that much that well. Um, in fact, Thomas Tufel was a little bit pragmatic and used um, Usman Dembele in a man-to-man marking job on Ruddy, which really killed the Hoffenheim build-up. You know, everything goes through Ruddy. So Ruddy picks it up in midfield and has about six players ahead of him, the two wing-backs, the two central midfielders and the two strikers. Almost like organised chaos, very, very difficult to deal with. But arguably Tufel using Dembele on a man-to-man job to pick up Ruddy killed everything. 
In terms of was Tufel right to do this, Nico, I kind of argue that maybe using someone like Marco Royce could have been a better option to have someone that can naturally play a number 10. I feel like Dembele is a little bit wasted at number 10. He's better out wide. That's where the space is. That's where he can take people on. That's where he can cross the ball. Do you think it was a good option from Tufel to play Dembele as that sort of defensive number 10? You know, you saw more of the game than I did. But at the same time, if I'm coming at it as sort of a blind perspective, I will say that, you know, this is this is youth development football. You know, this is maybe something that you're not uh, familiar with Absolutely over there not. at Manchester United, with may, maybe finally with Tu and Sebi. But um, at the same time, you know, Tuchel has a lot of raw talent to work with. And he has to put them in as many different positions as physically possible to not only further the development, but also see, you know, see what they can do. What can Usman Dembele give me centrally? You know, Marco Royce is in the latter stages of his career. He's also extremely injury prone. So keeping him in as many similar positions is probably the best idea for him and his busted ankles and knees. Usman Dembele, on the other man, hand, yeah. is like twenty years old. <laughs> he he should be playing in his me- he should be experiencing as many different positions as he can, so as to further himself in the best way. The more positions you know, the better that you you know the better holistic knowledge of football that you have, and, and simple as that. So no need to criticize the man, Dave. He's a very good manager. I, I think he's a very good manager, but I also think that Usman Dembele absolutely tore Hoffenheim apart when he was out wide. Whenever he drifted into that zone, he was fantastic. And I'd, I'd argue that maybe you flip that up, maybe you even play someone like um, Abemiang a little bit deeper. Abemiang did nothing in the game but scored a goal, was in the right position at the right time. Arguably, if you played him uh, as a central of a, of a, th- a front three, in a way, Royce and... Uh, Dembele is more strikers, Abemiang just a little bit more withdrawn, just doing that man-to-man job, fair enough, because he can use his pace from deep, um, still get into the penalty area. I just think it was it was interesting, and I agree that young players do need to play a lot of positions, but I just thought this was the wrong time to do it in a game that they had to win. This was a must-win. They don't win this game, they're in the Champions League um, you know, qualifying stages, which Hoffenheim are in now. Start your season earlier. You know, If you want to get to the... We're seeing Monaco now that started their season so early... A little bit of fatigue, a little bit of fatigue is coming in, but we'll speak about those guys later on. The other very impressive thing about Hoffenheim was how they pressed Dortmund out the back, so aggressive. Kramerich and the other two forwards just pressing them and continually caught them out uh, time and time again. But it was um, Nagelsmann, it was a little bit frustrating for Nagelsmann, who got very, very frustrated on the, on the bench. The, the man-to-man orientated system that Tufel played with the two systems, you think of the, the Hoffenheim system was the, the classic sort of 3-5-2 or a 3-1-4-2, let's say, um, countered by Tufel's 3-4-1-2. Um, you know, for those numbers, make sense in your head. But Hoffenheim really struggled to get the ball into the space in between the lines. There were so many like dodgy passes, so many um, you know dodgy touches. And it was a bit of a frustrating thing for Tufel. The only thing he did was switch to a 4-4-2 narrow diamond. Nico, in terms of the, the Tufel system that you've seen, there's got to be better ways to exploit it than go for a narrow diamond to try and, you know, claw a goal back, right? Yeah, I think, you know, when I, I actually used to be the managing editor of a Borussia Dortmund fan site over at fansided.com, but, and, and my initial analysis was the same as yours. Uh, you know, Tuchel plays this very Guardiola-esque football that seeks to dominate possession, and he does very creative and intuitive things with it and they do get some amazing results and play some excellent football at the same time you struggle to fight back the idea that the majority of these players especially in the system or especially in a different system could be an excellent excellent counter-attacking side and i think that we saw a little bit of that against hoffenheim if i'm not mistaken and and you know if they were to switch to maybe what you consider to be a more pragmatic system in terms of playing more defensive football i could see them winning a lot you know more or attaining a lot more palpable success right 
I think they do have some real assets on the counter-attack. Like I mentioned, Dembele on the counter-attack is fantastic. Marco Royce on the counter-attack is fantastic. Abemiang's pace. It's it's a real interesting one. And he did sit off a little bit more in this game. But again, it could have, could have really torn this Hoffenheim team apart if they played it the right way. In news, though, there's been a bit of a fallout between the... Uh, is it the sporting director of Borussia Dortmund and Thomas Tuchel, Nico? Yeah, Watsky. I think there's not necessarily... It's difficult to pin down like as a, as a fallout or a falling out. Um, but my sort of sources closer to the club say, you know, there is it hasn't, sorry always been the the best relationship between Thomas Tuchel and, and the board and, and sort of the higher ups at Borussia Dortmund. They've come uh, to a head at certain, you know, different things. Even with the the, the bus attack um, earlier this season, you know, Thomas Tuchel kind of threw someone under the bus, not to make a pun there, but, you know, he said someone at Dortmund had already... <laughs> had already made that decision and said that they were going to play. So there's an obvious tension between the board and him. They don't have the best relationship. And to some extent, it affects the state of the club. You know, there is an obvious discord between uh, someone there or some people there and Thomas Tuchel. So that does, you know, have an effect. Uh, so from what I understand, there are betting people that will say Thomas Tuchel is likely, sorry, likely not to be at Borussia Dortmund next season. I think that's somewhat of a loss for them because he is an excellent coach. But it's interesting to see where he'll end up next season considering, you know, how good he is as a manager and how young he is. Yeah, just going to be Pep Guardiola's assistant, right? He's always wanted that role. Doesn't doesn't need any more assistance, <laughs> Dave. <laughs> now, let's link him to Arsenal so I can title the podcast Thomas Tufel on his way to Arsenal because quite well, frankly... Well, that's what Dave, Dave... Dave actually doesn't eat food anymore, folks. He just, yeah, he just yeah. eats clicks, yeah, essentially. Got, if he gets about. enough clicks a day... He'll be fine. He doesn't go hungry anymore. But if we think about Arsenal's, you know, switch to this back three system, that'd be absolutely perfect for Thomas Tuchel. Thomas Tuchel will get the system sorted. There won't be so many gaps in central midfield. You know, Aaron Ramsey playing as a holder next to Zaka, pressing and running ahead of the strikers is absolutely bananas. But, you know, whatever. Wenger, you do what you want to do. You've been at Arsenal for so long. He'd be fantastic manager there. But anyway, let's move on to the final thing. Let's talk about the Champions League that is returning. Just going to be talking about Monaco versus Juventus Nico, unfortunately, because tomorrow we'll be talking about the, the Madrid derby. So just just the Juve game, unfortunately. No, that's right. You're being prejudiced towards uh, your American cohort. I here. am, unfortunately, fine. Nico. Unfortunately. Yeah. I was reading an Nationalism article. Nationalism is on the rise. I was reading an article on The Guardian today that scared the absolute living daylights out of me that was basically talking about um, these big data companies that apparently had been um, backing the the Brexit, backing the um, Donald Trump presidential election, and they forced the number of um, democratic voting systems uh, around the world into certain systems. It was all targeting or based on Facebook data and so forth. Very, very scary stuff. But anyway, <laughs> talk, stop talking about rubbish. Stop talking about America, Nico. It's time to talk about the Champions League. So Juve obviously going into the second leg with a two-goal lead. Doesn't look like as much Monaco can do to get back into this game. They played a pretty strong team at the weekend. You'd say it was their first string team, minus Mbappe, who did get a, ra- uh, a rest. They did beat Nancy three goals to nil. Do you think that's something from Yardim kind of conceding the tie, Nico? Yeah, I think there's not much. I mean, a 2 nil 
deficit to a team like Juventus is um, much more than 2-0, if, if that makes any sense. You know, it is very difficult to score against Juventus anywhere, let alone at the J Stadium, which they never lose. You know, this isn't just an Allegri thing. This is a Juventus thing. Um, so, you know, there's not, I, I imagine that, you know, Allegri has about 16 different plans um, somewhere typed up on his computer. Love to get my hands on those. Um, but, you know, I, I don't think there's a whole lot because, because, you know, we haven't seen that much flexibility from Yardim this season. He's gone with the 4-4-2 and he's landed on and he's done very well to do so. You know, like you said, almost three goals a game, um, you know, actually making Liga an interesting title race. But even with the likes of Sidibe and, and not, not Sidibe, sorry, Mendy um, back and, and other players, you know, as additions to that side, Juventus are extremely adaptable to many different situations. So it's it's already a 2-0, 2-0 lead. It's away goals on top of that. So it's so difficult to imagine that you, Monica would get back into this. It's I, I can't imagine anything like that happening. We can always dream, Nico. We can always dream. If they, if they score the three goals, they get their average. They keep Juve to just one goal. That's through. But that's going to be a massive, massive task. You know, Juve again uh, playing quite well at the weekend. They did draw with Torino. Uh, played a half strength side. Dybala playing off Mandzukic. Um, Quadrado in there as well so there was a little bit of rotation Gonzalo Higuain who was so important in that first leg that's why they signed him that's what I love about this Juventus right they, they you know they lose um, they lose their best guy in Paul Pogba or one of their best players in, in Paul Pogba they replace him with Pjanic and they replace him with Gonzalo Higuain who starred in the first that's funny leg. Dave I don't remember I don't remember Juventus losing Panucci because you said their best guy right yeah, certainly not Paul it's Pogba. A fair, it's a fair point, mate. Certainly, but, certainly know, not Paul Pogba. I, I, I was a big fan of that Juventus team. Um, Paul Pogba was the heartbeat of that central midfield. Obviously, Dybala was very, very good as well, but Pogba really sort of made things happen in that final third. But, you know, you can argue Benucci as well. He's, he's an all right lad, isn't he? Decent with the ball at his feet. But I do think it's kind of game over already, Nico. Let's just give me a score prediction. I'm going to go 1-0 Juventus. I couldn't agree more. One nil Juventus. Juventus. Can I, can I just can I just touch on something else? I, I had the displeasure of reading an ESPN article between James Horncastle, who I like, who's a pretty decent journalist, and also Julian Lorenz, and it was just complete five to ten minutes of hyperbole. It was nothing insightful, and it's just so aggravating. I think this is the sort of thing that we agree on, is that it's just jobs for the boys. These are just for, mm. not that James Horncastle is a former professional, but a lot of these guys at ESPN that, you know, a hundred good, you know, not necessarily statistical or analytical, but good, insightful writers that work for ESPN were laid off a week ago, and you keep Julian Lorenz, who's just talking about hyperbole against Monaco versus versus Juventus, and it doesn't give anyone any insight, yet these guys are getting paid bucket loads to say absolutely nothing. It was infuriating, so... Just if I can touch on that, yeah, no, you, you go for it. No, the Juventus Monica time. It's, it's always it's always good to uh, you know let your feelings um, out on the Stan and Dave Football Podcast. I've done it many times it's in my important. career. It's a support group, which is an important thing because it is Mental Health Awareness Week this week. So again, it is after the um, the sad news of of last week um, about Aaron Lennon. Remember, there's always people to talk to, and if you want to come on the Stan and Dave Football Podcast, just tweet me and we can vent about anything you want. Maybe we'll you know we might have to cut some of it out if it's a little bit too personal, but we're always here for you. Me and Nico underscore O Morales on Twitter. That's been that for the Statman Day Football Podcast. Till tomorrow. See thee later. Bye.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.